0: Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go, Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We are recording live here. And, you know, Jeremy, he's been in the game since 2017 in New Hampshire, jumping into Florida, been in six other states as well, six other markets, over 400 off-market deals. And this guy has a hell of a spin and a twist to the average wholesaler out there. He's not doing it the old traditional way that wholesalers are doing it. So of course, he's taking down some properties himself, but creative different strategies to be able to lock up deals, not actually have to close on them himself at all, but be able to take it down still and make a hell of a lot stronger profits instead of just an assignment fee. So very cool, amazing techniques that we could all learn from and benefit to sharpen up our skills. And I always love things like this that you're not seeing this online. You're not seeing this you know, as the next main thing that everybody's doing. So you always want to kind of stay away from the herd. What's funny is fix and flip, wholesaling, whatever it may be, that niche has been blowing up and so forth. And the old school techniques of marketing, like bandit signs, for example, I've started seeing those coming back and really like expanding and helping out in so many ways. So with that being said, just excited to have you on here today, Jeremy. How are you, man?
1: I'm awesome, man. I'm very excited to be on your podcast today, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to your listeners, get to know them, hopefully get to know me, provide some great value today, inspire them to take massive and perfect action and go live their real estate dreams, brother.
0: Let's go, baby. Let's go. So talk to me. Anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, where you're from, do you mind just giving that 30,000 foot view?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Jeremy Beland. I'm 47. My wife and I, Shelly, we run our New Hampshire Home Buyers. You see these logos over my head in Coastal Florida Home Buyers, along with our coaching business, RBI Freedom. We started in New Hampshire back in 2017. My wife and I are a blended family. Right around the time when we started our business in 2017, we were coming together as a family, blending five kids and you know a different life before then. And we started this business. I was a sales guy. I actually started my business when I was 40 years old. As a kid, I went through foreclosure, bankruptcy with my parents. We had our car's all repossessed. I was getting arrested a bunch as a kid, dropped out of high school, had no direction, like troubled youth. I uh, found my way into professional sales by the luck of a friend and, you know, I, I had some immediate some success in that. And then it turned out in my 20s, I actually had a good sales career from a kid who came from nowhere. Bought myself a house, was got married, had two little kids, life was great. And then all of a sudden, right around the time of the recession, I got punched in the gut. We put on a addition to our house at that time. We had a bunch of equity. Life was great. You know, I was making six figures. And then, you know, I found myself a year later, outside of when the recession hit, out of a job, upside down in equity, couldn't afford my mortgage. And I was my whole world was collapsing right before my eyes, just like it happened to my parents when I was a kid. Uh, And I was just like, oh my God, I'm I'm falling into the same trap. And it was really scary. And at this point, I was like 33, 34 years old. And I started learning about real estate investing at that time. Realized that I had the entrepreneurial bug, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And back then they didn't have podcast like we do today so my sales jobs i would go to the library and rent like the, uh, cds to throw in my car and i learned about real estate investing and the, you know the cash quadrant and stuff like that so i starting started getting into it but with the recession hitting the market the way it was i had to put it on a back burner i was in the risk of basically losing my house couldn't find work anywhere. I was losing everything that I had. and It was a really scary time. During that time, actually, after not being able to find work because, you know, you're young. But at that time, Brandon, everybody was looking for work. It wasn't just a housing crisis. It was a job crisis. Yeah. And I couldn't find work anywhere because I didn't have a college degree, never mind a high school degree. So with that being said, I actually joined the military I went into the Air Force at 33, just before I turned 34 years old. They beat the age deadline back then. I was in basic wow. training with a bunch of 17-year-old kids, getting yelled at by 24-year-old T.I. telling me to get on my face. And I was just like, my God, you're just a punk-ass kid. We weren't in this military base. I slap you. But I yeah. couldn't because they were my superior. So they were slapping me, so to speak. But anyway, you know, going into the military, gave me a chance to re- rebuild my life. You know, Went in there really depressed, really worked on myself. Came back out. Was able to build my life back up, getting myself a sales job after a few years of really struggling. But during that time through the recession, because I knew enough about real estate investing, I did not lose my house to foreclosure. I actually had a real estate investor who's on my buyers list today, come and short sale my house. And he prevented me from going into foreclosure. The short sale yeah. gave me, you know, bad credit for like poor credit for like three years. But I didn't go to bankruptcy, didn't go into foreclosure, and if those things happened, I would not have been able to go into the Air Force because I was going in for a top-secret clearance, and those things won't allow you in. So he really saved me in a lot of ways. He saved me from losing my house, saved me to go into the Air Force, which is something I needed to do to, like, rebuild my life and get a reset button in my life. And then during that time we had no money. So he was like giving us cash legally, like, hey, I'm gonna buy your refrigerator from you. I'm gonna buy your shed from you. I'm gonna buy your wash and dryer. It was giving us cash and that was like food on the table, clothes for my kids, Christmas gifts, like this real estate investor, like saved my world at that time. I have no idea to this day how much money he made on that house. All I know is he saved my world. And now I've been able to do that to other people Hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of times over, and I'm very passionate about it. So, you know, going into my, you know, I started to build my life back up, and I'm gonna wrap this up really quick here. So, it was getting into my late 30s, and I started seeing a lot of people like later on in their 40s getting let go of their jobs. You know, they've been working for a career for a long time, the company downsizes or sells, or they have become replaceable, but all of a sudden they're in their 40s, 50s, and they have to start all over again. After what I just went through the recession, I was like, I can't do this. If the, the company that I work for, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing six figures. Still only kind of living month to month. My 401k isn't doing anything. I want to get into real estate investing. So I started listening to podcasts at this time, realizing like, I wanted to do the job, but I was afraid. So for yeah. like a year, I had to, like analysis paralysis, afraid of what to do or how to do it. Had no money. And, you know, I, eventually I decided that, you know what, I, I'm going to get into wholesaling. It's a the lowest barrier of entry into this real estate space. Uh, I was listening to Wholesaling Inc. And Tom Kroll, who was a guru at that time. And I loved Tom, still a coach of mine today. And I basically took my townhouse that I was living in with my two kids and I sold it. I lived in it for two years. I sold it. It was the only thing I had money in. I made like $17,000 in profit. I took $6,000, paid credit card debt. I took $11,000. Five thousand into the coaching program, six thousand dollars to start my business. That six thousand dollars bought me like my LLCs, my contracts, my marketing, just got me up and running. That eleven thousand dollars that I put into the business back in going into January two thousand seventeen has generated more than eight million dollars in gross profit since, and four hundred deals. You know, I got my first deal in ninety days, but the the that whole thing changed my life. A couple years later, I quit my job been a full-time business since. We've scaled, we've gone into different markets, had some good times and bad times, but overall, we've had great success. And uh, I, I'm living my dream world. I spent a lot of time with my wife and my kids, and we're doing everything that we love to do every single day. Real estate investing, man, is freaking game-changing. It's awesome. I just yes. wish I started this sooner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, I, I love it. Jeremy, you got the energy for this. I, I love it, man. That's a lot to unpack there, but it's so good. Sorry, it's so super good. I watch yeah. i the 47. Bro. I love it, man. You got some miles on you for sure. So when it when it comes down to the real estate stuff, first off, let me back up because yeah. when it comes down to overall getting like punched in the gut, right? And going through all that that heartache and when life is going so well and then out of nowhere it just turns for the worst you know there's seasons in everybody's life for that up and down that's just it's a season right it's inevitable too yeah it's inevitable it will happen and so how you kind of pivot behind that is what's going to dictate the future and some people curl in a ball and there may be a you know a quick little outing session that you got to go through but then afterwards how long you stay in that session and you know the game plan moving forward to get out of that so you can move on to something bigger and better you jumped into the military right and you started working on yourself that was a big pivotal piece that i heard that i was like yeah that because i remember i remember my down like my my rock bottom. Right. And I needed, I need to work on myself to be able to get out of that situation. So how pivotal was that for you? And, w- and what did that look like? Was it a year, four years? What did that look like for you?
1: Yeah. You know, I it was really just, you know, three months of basic training. They basically yeah. tore me down. And I remember that first week I was literally in tears. You know, what did I yeah. do made a mistake? I left a four and a two year old at home. I was just like, Oh my God, what am I doing? I'm here with a bunch of kids. But looking back after the fact, it just allowed me to go away from all my responsibilities, as selfish as that sounds. I needed to go away for a period of months and just rebuild myself. And that's what the military gave me. And then I went on to tech school. I had a great experience there. But for six months between uh, basic training and tech school, I just worked on building myself. My confidence came back. And I just had, you know, I got my mojo back. It was great. And, um, you know, when I came home uh, after that, I was working in the National Guard and the Reserve. So I was doing my one week at a month, two weeks a year. So I was an active duty for, but I had to do that for like six years. But, you know, I had to find a way to get back into work. I started hustling and you know, it was still a struggle for those first couple of years out, but eventually landed myself a job and worked my way back up. And, you know, and you're right. We all get punched in the gut. You know, One of my favorite quotes, and we have it hanging up in our house, is the Rocky quote from the Rocky movie, where it's like, that's, you know, life is going to you know, punch you hard, right? It's not about how hard you get hit or how hard you can hit, but how hard you can get hit and keep getting up, right? So I, I just, I live by that mentality. We say in our company, those who thrive or those who survive will thrive, right? So we there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be really tough times. We have to survive them. If we continue to survive, we will thrive. I love
0: that. Yeah, that's so good. Okay. So once you Started focusing on yourself, started to really improve your situation. I think that angel basically of a of a real estate investor, love how you're still working with them side by side right now too. That's awesome. And so he ended up really educating and helping you along the way to to get you out of that situation, right?
1: Well, you know, he was just, a, a, he was a buyer on a, you know, yeah. I just knew a local, from the local rear. So, you know, I yep. don't work with him today or anything like that. He was just a guy that I knew, hey, he does short sales. Hey, I'm gonna call you. He comes out, talks to us, says, "Yeah, your, your mortgage company is a pain in the ass, but I have experience working with that. It. It's gonna take time, but I can help you." I was like, "Sign me up!" Because I, you know, all back then, like we were getting into a mortgage company, we were working through like whatever process they had. Then the mortgage company folded, and then we went to another mortgage company. It was like a, it was a disaster back then. But he was able to save save us. The house actually sold when I was in the military. He took care of everything for me which was great. I had to give my, you know, my wife at the time power of attorney. She signed off on everything, but he literally saved us from foreclosure and bankruptcy. And, you know, within a few years, you know, my credit was right back to where it needed to be. It just, it was just, it was just more of a speed bump rather than a pothole or a ditch or a cliff. Yeah.
0: So talk to me. You, you got into six markets. You, you focused on wholesaling at first because that was like the lowest entry to get in. Yep. What, what did the education look like for you? Was it books, podcasts, YouTube? You know, All you of went...
1: the above. So yeah. you know, I, I was trying to learn everything I could back then. But when I got into wholesaling, Inc., Tom Kroll, who was the coach at the time, said, I don't want you to do anything except for listen to my podcast for an entire year. I don't want you guys getting shiny object syndrome or anything. So I did his program, got my first deal in 90 days. We got 5,000 bucks, which was the cost of the program. We kicked and struggled and fought our way to 10 deals and $77,000 that year. So that first year, I spent 11,000. I already had a seven to one return by the end of that first year, but I had massive momentum, power, belief. You know, I talked Shelly into quitting her job and coming on full time while I continue to work my full time because we're starting to get some momentum here. Uh, you know, then we, we kept finding new coaching, you know, probably to this day, dude, honestly, I've spent over a quarter million dollars in coaching. Um, that's not even including masterminds. I'm just talking like coaching to help me build, you know, I, and then I, I still listen to the podcast. I read every day. One of the great gifts that Tom told me was like, I want you to read like five to seven pages a day. I never, I never really read until I, he told me that until still to this day, six, seven years later, going to be seven years in January It's crazy. I read every day. I've read hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of books. I am all about getting coaching and and continuous education, you know, so, you know, and always just take a massive, perfect action, just learning and applying, learning and applying. How
0: important do you think that is for people out there? Because there's so many people that are on the fence about investing in themselves or, you know, they want the guarantees and and realistically- Yeah, exactly. There's no guarantees in life, you know. No, there is no, no guarantee no. That, that everything was going right for you for so long and then out of nowhere it turned for the opposite. So but how are you, you gonna deal with
1: that? Them. You can't control the market. You can't even control people. Like I can teach you everything you needed to do. I can't guarantee you're gonna do it. You may claim yep. doing it, but I can't tell. People say they're gonna do stuff all the time and uh, are disingenuous and they don't fulfill their obligations. So you know, sure. you can't ever guarantee anything. So there's no yep. guarantees in life. But with that being said, coaching and education is uh, the most important thing. You know, there's one A, one B is taking action. Those two things really coincide together. You know, learn, take action, learn, take action. You can read all the books in the world and learn all the knowledge. But if you've got analysis paralysis and don't take any action, that's terrible too. But, you know, for me, I'm almost the opposite. I just go in head first. And, you know, I got people behind me saying, wait, you got to learn something. Like, Lauren, heck with that. I'm just going to go do you know, and then that I make mistakes that way. So try to really find that balance for both. But they're so, so important. And if you do that, invest in yourself in education and not just like in coaching, but invest in your health uh, and invest into your emotional health, your, your mental health, your physical health, all those things. Like, you know, you need to be the best version of yourself so you can give everybody else the best version of yourself and be the best version. And it's that okay. a lot of work. You know, I read the Malcolm Morning and going into... 2019, it's been a game changer in my life. Morning routine every single daily, health, exercise, self, personal development every single day to start the day.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I love that. So, talk to me when it comes down to real estate. Now you're in six different markets, though. You're doing I was in
1: six different markets. Okay. We're in two now. We're in Florida, well New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and one, and then in okay. Florida. We were in Western New York for a long time for a few years. Had a lot of great success up in Buffalo, Rochester. Uh, we potted out of that market uh, at the end of last year, going into this year to open up Florida. Uh, Western New York is a great market, but it's very tough because it's an attorney state, and it's really, hey, really challenging. And you know, we had a great team. You know, we actually had a great acquisition guy out there last year that did seventy-four deals. And, you know, it was just, but it, it's, it's really, really tough in an attorney. Yeah. So we went into Wichita, Kansas, for a period of time, got some good momentum, but the guy we were working with for acquisitions couldn't really weather out the storm. So after some moderate success, we decided to close that down, went into Vegas, did one deal, complete disaster, was in our market. So now we are in New Hampshire, Mass, which we have been doing for since 2017. And we opened up uh, Florida January of this year. And, you know, now we have $2 million markets
0: love it. I love it, man. So talk to me. What does it look like in your business? You know, you mentioned you're not the traditional wholesaler. What does that mean exactly?
1: So, you know, your traditional wholesaler is all about, you know, so we are hundred percent focused on acquiring properties direct to the seller. That's what our coaching program is about. That's everything we do. We, we're all about getting better at acquiring deals off market. So we spend all of our. A lot of our education, a lot of our resources, a lot of time, money, effort on buying properties off market. But when you get those contracts in traditional ways, you just have a handful of buyers that sign that contract over for some quick cash. We did that for the first year or two. Then we were building up buyers list, building up buyers list, and we started getting more buyers, and we started creating a system where they compete against each other. We talk a lot about that in our coaching program. A lot of the local real estate investors actually are now all copy. Like i laid out the blueprint in New England. Everybody who does wholesaling, how they show properties, everything, they're all learning from me. But imitations are, you know, the greatest woman flattery. So, you know, as weird as it is, I, I do appreciate that because obviously my system works. But it wasn't my system. It's just a system that I paid a coach to teach me. So with that being said, you know, we were just, you know, I was just, struggling to get by, you know, we'd get like, you know, we're having like $20,000 an assignment, but it was costing us like $5,000 a deal. And, you know, that, you know, as big as our cash buyers were, they're always just nickel and diving us And oh, I don't want this deal. I don't want that deal. You know, oh, this doesn't meet our criteria. I don't like that town. I don't like the color of the house. And all this shit was just driving me crazy. And when it was when we went out to New York and we worked with Chris Noggle, we learned about private lending. I said, you know, we really need to learn about private lending. And then we did that. And at the same time, I learned about pre-marketing our properties on the MLS. So yeah. our partners today on our disposition side, our realtor and, you know, and our project manager, Tucker McCarthy, he came on as a he got his license as a realtor. And I'm like, dude, I have an idea. This is what I want to do. So now, rather than just having our cash buyers list, look at the properties, we started taking these properties and we're special language, vetted by our real estate attorney, vetted by the real estate commission here. We're going to pre-market these deals on the MLS. So not only are our cash buyers going to see it, but everybody's going to see it. And it changed us between that and having the access to private money to do double closes and take downs and things like that. We went from $20,000 in average per deal to $35,000 average per deal overnight. And we've been pretty much sitting there ever since. I love
0: that. So the creative strategies that you guys are using, it there's a twist to it, right? So what a lot of others are just doing that assignment and then just kind of sending it out. You guys are looking to take it kind of more, just locking it up, not having to put anything down, but actually, you know, putting it right back on the market, remodeling, or or kind of lipstick on a pig if needed, or nothing.
1: Sometimes, not sometimes, not at all. Sometimes we just put it yep. up as is. We'll pre market it as seen as it is, so we can sell it without putting money into it. Great. We have to put yep. a little money into it. Great. You know, really, what came was I didn't want to be a CBE, a cash buyer employee. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I basically become like I was in the Air Force. You know, something yelling at by TI, hey, go get me a deal that meets my criteria. Then I tell him I want 10. He's like, I'll give you six. Now I want 10. I'll give you 6,500 or I'm not doing it, right? And I'm the one spending all the time, money, and effort to get the deal. But I'm also the one spending all the time, money, and effort to get the deal to closing because the sellers have a lot of stuff that needs help with. We're providing a lot of value. It's a lot of time involved, a lot of emotion involved, a lot of resources involved. And they don't see that, and they don't respect that. And and I felt very disrespected by cash buyers. Felt like they gave no value. Oh, you just, I flip houses. I am the cash buyer. I am almighty. You know, they're just a little pissy and wholesale. Just give me the deal and go away. That's kind of how I felt. Probably wasn't accurate, but that's how I felt. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to start taking control of this. I don't need you. I'm going to take control of my properties. I'm the one who built this like machine to generate deal these deals, right? Yeah. You know, I built this team. I built this marketing. We bring deals. We're the only successful wholesaler to do this for years outside of a few people in New England. More people doing it now, but for years, we we're like the only one around. So I said, you know I'm just going to put on the MLS. I don't need you guys. And then we started selling it to like traditional buyers. You know, somebody who wanted to fix it up for the first time home. Somebody who wanted to downside. It, it didn't even matter. There were just people everywhere wanting to buy these houses. Sometimes there were cash buyers on the MLS, willing to pay a lot more than the cash buyers who wanted to buy off market. It just changed everything for us.
0: Now, when the market's going up, it's really easy to do so. But in the last year or so, when interest rates have gotten more difficult, and so a lot of the buyers are kind of out, end buyers that is, have you seen it more difficult in any form or fashion? Or is it simply because there's still not enough supply to really be on the market.
1: Yeah, yes, to all of that. So, yeah. you know, it has been the most challenging year since okay. I've been doing this, for sure. It's not been a bad year. It just hasn't been a great year. You know, so the low inventory has still allowed us to sell houses, but long gone are the days of putting a house out of the market on a Friday, being an escrow on Monday with a bidding war, with no inspections and all that stuff. That stuff doesn't really happen anymore. We're giving concessions sometimes. We've never had to give concessions until this year. So some of those things are happening. You know, I would say that our deal size has gone down a little bit on the back end. Our cost fraud acquisition has gone up because marketing is really expensive these days. Our biggest challenge, though, really more than anything, because, you know, we've done a good amount of deals this year, but it has gone down from previous years. And the reason why is because there's a whole bunch of people rate locked in their homes. So, you know, a lot of the people we would work with were people who are older that had equity in their homes, the house was in rough shape. They wanted downsize, but now they can't afford to downsize because of the rates, right? So they can sell their house, get this and move into something less for the same amount of money or pay more. That doesn't help them. They need to lower their cost of living and downsize. And we've eliminated almost all of that population from uh, what we used to buy. That was a good chunk of houses that we would buy every year. So now we're really just to work with people who truly distress, you know, bad tenants, pre-foreclosure, tax delinquency, you know, people that need to move, tired landlords, as I mentioned with bad tenants, and inherited and probate houses, really just lows. So it's definitely shrunken down from an acquisition side. But I feel as we go into 2024 and rates are going to start slowing down, Being an election year. I don't think 2024 is going to be a great year, but I, I anticipate it being much better than 2020. No, I agree.
0: So you have kind of like a step-by-step that you you've been able to help out a, a bunch of people kind of in the past, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, if you guys want me to talk about it real quick, I can talk to you about a real brief overview of our top yep. five techniques for bigger deals, more deals, and less cancellations. Let's go, baby. Come on. All right. All right. So, five techniques received ownership, status alignment, overcoming higher authority and timeline objections, providing certainty, handle pricing objections and negotiations with distressed sellers. Guys, this is going to be really informative for you guys to get more deals, bigger deals and less cancellations. I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a brief overview of this, but listen to what I'm saying because this will help you get more deals. These techniques are focused on building trust, establishing rapport, addressing concerns, and finding mutually beneficial solutions, ultimately leading to successful negotiations and transactions. Technique number one, guys, perceived ownership. This is super important. Perceived ownership is the powerful technique that involves guiding the distressed seller to believe that selling the property to the buyer is their own decision. This technique is based on the principle that people are more likely to follow through on the decisions if they feel they have made it for themselves. We don't want to sell them into doing business with them. We want them to come to the realization that working with us as the buyer is in their best interest.
0: So. Yeah, you- you basically educate until they fully you know, make the decision for themselves.
1: Make the decision, right? We're not into telling people what to do. So we actively listen to the seller's concerns, needs, and desires. Demonstrate genuine interest and empathy. Don't pressure or manipulate the sellers into making a decision. Listen, hey, Brent, you've been to, you've bought cars before the car dealership, right? It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. You're going to the parking lot of the car dealership. You're there to buy a car. You see, you're going out, you're looking around. All of a sudden, the car salesman comes out to you. You can hear him, feel him coming behind you, right? And you start to get tense. And he goes, hey, can I help you? What do you typically say when that happens?
0: Probably no, right? No, okay.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just, just I'm looking, right? Yeah, I'm you're looking, like, oh, yeah. But you feel the pressure of somebody who wants to sell you. And you're like, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just here to look, brother. Back off, yeah. right? Yeah. So we want to prevent our sellers from feeling that way. Yeah. So, be a solution for the seller's problem. Identify where you can provide value. Power the seller to believe that selling to you is in their best interest. Let them come up with that conclusion and realization of them, uh, themselves. Don't be afraid to fire yourself and back away. Pull away. Pull away. Be is not it? What happens when you chase a dog, Brandon?
0: Yeah, you're not going to catch him. <laughs> away, I'm just going right? to keep running. Yeah. Right?
1: What happens when you stop turning around? What does a dog do? stop
0: and look back at you
1: yeah or chase us yeah so yeah we want the dog chasing us yeah. um, they have to feel the decision to go with you is in their their decision there's a wall we don't want them to be sold this prevents seller regret and cancellations the last thing you want to do is sell somebody on a contract be like man i'm you to get this deal i'm gonna make forty thousand bucks i'm pumped to go home taking my girl out they're gonna have a great night Only to find out when you get pulled into the driveway, you have a voicemail and the seller's like, "Uh, Mr. Homebuyer, I'm sorry. I I can't move forward with this. Can we please cancel the contract? That happens a lot because they have seller regret. So you may have sold them awesome, but they didn't sell themselves. Uh, Technique number two. I'm going to go through this real fast, Brandon. Status alignment is a technique that we really, really feel passionate about. It's a technique that aims to create a sense of social equality rapport between the buyer and distressed seller the idea behind this technique is that people are more likely to trust and collaborate with others that they perceive to be on the same level as them so we want to be like on the same social level hierarchy i'm not better than you i'm not less than you i feel like brandon you and i we're hanging out we're having a beer we could talk some sports we're coffee we know each other we can relate with each other we may have kids that go to sports together in town we want to come across as just an everyday person that can become a friend that they can relate to. When we do yeah. this by, you know, finding common ground with the seller, places, hobbies, job, family dynamics, can all be areas of common ground. Establish a genuine connection with the seller. Go deeper into those commonalities and connect by asking more open-ended questions. Build that rapport. You're going to open up more to you about what's going on in their lives where they're embarrassed with if they feel like they're on the same social level with you. They feel like they can't relate to you, it's never, ever going to work. Not. Technique number three, overcoming higher authority and timeline objections. This is really important as well. When it comes to negotiating with distressed sellers, it is important to address objections related to higher authority and timeline effectively. By following certain strategies, buyers can increase their chances of reaching a successful agreement. Okay, a couple things here, guys. Uh, you must involve all decision makers in the negotiation process. When you're talking to the seller on the phone, is that the only decision maker? Are there other people involved? If there's other people involved, a husband, a wife, an aunt, an uncle, a sister, a roommate, whatever it is, you need to make sure that everybody is there at their meeting and appointment together. You have all decision makers there at once. Cause if you don't, you're going to get one person on the, uh, who agree with you and the there are others that are just not going to be on the same page. Ask questions sure. how they feel about sell, how the other people would feel about selling the property. Are they have any family? or pundit discord or disputes going on, especially with probate inheritance, right? It could be crazy. Make sure all decision makers have a clear understanding of all the next steps. Timeline objections are commonly a cover for real objection. What is the timeline objection covering? In our experience, the timeline is I need to sell fast or I need to take my time to sell. There is another reason going on. They want to sell because they want to do it before something happens really quick or they want to not sell for a while because maybe they're afraid that if they sell too soon, they're going to get kicked out of the house and they don't want to sign the contract because they don't understand if they sign the contract with you, they have to close in 30 days with nowhere to live. So that you always have to really understand the timeline behind things. It will basically open up what's really going on when it comes to objections or why they don't want to move forward with the deal. All right, two more and we'll wrap this up, Brandon. Technique number four. When a professional house buyer is buying an investor, aims to provide more certainty to a distressed seller. So we call this providing certainty. They can employ several techniques to build trust and confidence. Listen, I told you guys about the uh, real estate investor early in this podcast about how he short silk. That guy provided certainty to me. I, you know, He made him seem like, I can take care of you. I can get this deal done. And that's all I needed. Again, I don't know how much he made on my house. He could have made hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't care. All that I knew was going forward with this guy, I felt very certain that he could take care of my problem. And he did. He provided certainty to me. If I felt like he was wishy-washy or didn't know what he was doing or had no idea, you know, it was just kind of maybe talking numbers and didn't really understand my situation or he to not understand my situation, would have never, ever done business with him. So providing certainty is really, really important. Sure, that reassuring, Assure them of your commitment and perseverance that you're experiencing the field with similar sellers and situations. Because every seller has their own complexities in their situation. They don't care about other situations. They need reassurance. Can you help them in their situation? Yeah, that's good. Last one, number five, analytic pricing objections, the biggest one. And negotiating with distressed sellers. Oh my God. This is where everybody falls short. And this is can get really tough. All right. This section, real quick, focuses on techniques of handling pricing objections and negotiating with distressed sellers by providing value beyond money and tailoring solutions to their specific needs. Buyers can address objections and negotiate mutually beneficial terms. Key techniques include extracting a price through open-ended questions, demonstrating value beyond price and utilizing anchor techniques. All right, so have you built enough rapport? Are you the right fit for the seller? You know, if you can't agree on a price, you may not be the right fit for the seller. Maybe a realtor is. Don't be a deal maker. Be a deal finder. If you're not the best fit for each other, that's okay. There's plenty of people out there that are. Um, don't make the conversation negotiation about the numbers. A lot of people fall short of this. Brandon, they go in, they're like, "Hey, I walked around your house and needs a new roof, new kitchen. The best I can do is hundred fifty thousand bucks." Well, then that guy is again feeling the pressure, backs up, says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! I can't do it." Now it's become a price negotiation, and everybody's defensive nobody's going to win in that situation. So we really want to take it away about the numbers. and Really, where are, where are you guys distressed? What are your problems? How can we provide value? How can we help? That's what sells it. You work out the price on a mutually beneficial price arrangement. But with that being said, you have to provide value. If you make it about the numbers, always everybody loses. All right. So you always want to extract the price from the seller first. Always easier said than done. You know, if you're asking these questions, like, what do you consider a fair price for the property. What are your goals in selling the property? Sometimes they can demonstrate the value of the property by asking those questions. What do you do if you can't extract a uh, price from the seller? All right. Well, I'm going to teach you this one technique. All right. And we'll wrap up with this because this is this is a gold nugget here, guys. So listen, yeah. this is my way of anchoring low. If you guys have not read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, you guys are doing yourself a disservice because that is a Excellent, excellent, excellent book about negotiations, right? So I
0: actually sent that out to my whole sales team for the them to read for the holidays. Yeah.
1: Yeah, good. there you go. Read that book like five times. All right. Yeah. So we're going to anchor. Well, I am in the living room or the kitchen table with sellers. They don't want to give me a price. They're afraid if they give me a price that they're going to lose this negotiation and leave too much money on the table. If that happens, more times than not, it's because... I did not provide enough value in their eyes to move forward with. So the price is a little bit more important than the value I bring. Or two, they have just this antiquated thinking that I'm not giving a price first, no matter what. That's just what I've been taught. I'm not going to do it. So it's one of those two things. So Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you know what? I'm a real estate investor. I can give you a price, but I want to make money. And honestly, I want to make as much money as possible. There's a lot of risk in this industry. So like, I'll tell you, like a dollar. You know, so I'm happy to give you a price first, but in my experience, Mr. and Mrs. Sell, what happens is I give you our price and we've built all this rapport. We've been sitting down talking for an hour and we've become friends. And then I'm gonna throw a number and you guys are gonna get super angry at me. You're going to take that remote control off the coffee table. Y'all whip it at my head. Yes. Tell me profanity that get the heck out of my house. I don't want to ever see your face again. I'm telling you, I don't want to do that. We, we, we seem to be friends. I'm a nice guy, really, but I'm an investor. No, no, we would never do that. I don't know. I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you a number and you guys are going to get really upset with me. And you guys are maybe going to, you know, I almost throw something at me, but you may be like, you know, write bad things about me on the internet. that. I don't want any of that to happen. Oh, no. You know, and I do it like in a jokingly way to just try to make light of it. But what I'm really doing is I'm setting the scene. All right. So I'm setting them up for a really low offer. But now they can't be insulted by it because I am setting this up. All right, Mr. and Mrs. Sella. OK, I understand I'm an investor. I want to make as much money as possible. Now, let's just say that I'm happy to walk away with this house at $200,000. I know that's a good number for me, right? I am going to say a number so low that I'm like, (laughs) I I feel physically nauseous to say it. It's just so uncomfortable. And I come back and I say, I don't know, $85,000. And they go, whoa, whoa. I would never do that. You crazy can't go that low. I said, You know, please don't throw anything to me. Um, and, uh yeah, I said, well, listen, I'm an investor. I told you, I want to go low. I want to get it. I want to get it for free. If I can't do it at $85,000, you're not telling me what, what you want. What is it going to be? What number works for you? And that's when they come back and say, well, I was taking like $225,000. Oh, okay. So you did have a number of mine. That's great because it's weird how everybody who sells a car in the front yard, puts a number on it, knows what to sell for. But when it comes to selling the house, apparently nobody knows what to sell for. They don't know the value, but they always have a price in their mind. So I use that anchoring technique to pull it out. And then we kind of work some negotiations from there. But that is a good way to anchor low. A lot of times you get it under that $200,000 number. It's a win-win, but you're, you're prefacing all that by just being silly and setting that stage. And that's a really good technique that works. And that's a good way to overcome the price objection when they don't want to give you a price.
0: Yeah, man, that's so good. Anchoring is is very crucial. It's very important. And when you set up that foundation for them up front, then they are already anticipating very low. So then it's not like a shock to them. They're not, it's not, you're not going to give them a heart attack. Like they are anticipating. Or be um, insulted. Yeah. So it's like you're setting them up for those numbers initially so that you can get to a real price point sooner than later, which is great. Yeah. And then we try to never
1: split the difference.
0: Yep. I love <laughs> it. I love it, baby. That's awesome, man. So talk to me. What does the future look like for you guys? You guys are doing amazing things right now, growing, yeah, scaling. So, you
1: know, we're, we're building all those buying businesses. We, we just hired down in Florida second sales guy. We are on the scale mode and bro mode of both of those. We built our RBI Freedom Coaching Program where we teach a lot of techniques that I just went over at a much more in-depth role. We have Dan, our sales coach, who's amazing. He's done 600 deals himself, personally. He just walked up. Five deals last week and this week still actively as an acquisition manager so you know we're, we're focused on you know building out a coaching program and we're a lot of our students are having a lot of success already even though we're relatively new and just you know this is what it's about building our coaching program building our businesses we do what we sell in the coaching business and teach others to do we're doing it all together having a lot of fun changing lives paying that thing forward that that short sale investor did to me many years ago over and over again we live life on our own terms. We all work from home. We have tons of flexibility. Uh it's our guy freedom, man. Real estate investment freedom. That's what we do. I love it.
0: I love the logo too, man. It's awesome. Hey, it's very cool. Walk it up, baby.
1: That's what my I don't lock know if you it up. Yeah. Half yep. that. Walk it up. Everybody's always lock like, up. "Well, what's a good price?" I'm like, "I don't care what the price is. Go lock that baby up as low as possible. Let's dispo and find out."
0: Yeah, yeah, let's figure it out. Yeah, yeah you got to lock, lock it up. up. If it's not in contract, it's it's not nothing. So it doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah, that's good, man. Well, uh, Jeremy, man, this was this was powerful. You just poured in a bunch to me and the listeners. Anything that we could do to give back to you?
1: I don't want anything back in return, Umbrella. I'm really happy to be on your stage today and your platform. I really greatly appreciate it. If anybody wants to reach out to me, just get on Facebook because I know we're there today right now. You know, join our RBI Freedom Facebook group. Uh, we're a growing community. Me and Dan do a lot of uh, live free training there regularly and try to provide a lot of value We don't do it's not a group that's going to be solicited with deals and stuff like that and people selling stuff. It's really like come here and let's all help each other learn and grow so we can be, you know, freedom fighters and live in freedom lifestyles. That's what we're all about.
0: But man, Jeremy, how can people get a hold of you?
1: That's it. Facebook, REI freedom. Go into that group. Tag me. Reach out to me. I talk to people all day, every day, providing them value to help them get on their ways to success. You know, I'm very happy to do that. Dan is too. Listen, guys, like, really reach out to us. We're happy to talk to you and help you on your journey.
0: Love it. Yeah. Well, guys, you're going to want to do that. Reach out to Jeremy and Dan on the Facebook group. Uh, Just a wealth of knowledge. They're actively doing it and can lead by example. And you guys can learn a ton from them as well. So I hope you found tons of value in this one like I have. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get the newest notification every Monday when the episodes drop. Leave that five-star review. Greatly appreciate all the love, all the support recently. You guys are amazing. And if you haven't left that five-star review, do that today.
1: Do it now. Um, do it now. Do it now. Come on.
0: And then if you want to get a hold of me, you could do so on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, on Instagram as well, Credit Council Elite. If you want to get a hold of me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. And then on Credit Council Elite, if you haven't already checked out what we can teach you how to do, we're teaching business owners just like yourself how to get up to 500000 every six months at 0% interest. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, baby, getting a ton of funding so that you can grow and scale your company. So if you haven't already, watch our 10-minute video to answer a bunch of your questions. You'll have a lot of new questions. You can sit down to get a second opinion with our team, and you should do that today. So by all means, check out creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com, and we will see you on the next one. Till next time, guys, God bless. Jeremy, appreciate you, brother. Happy holidays, man. This has been- Another episode of Ready, Set, Go Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.